what I mean by that is I think Isaiah is blown away by the mystery and bigness of God. Completely unsettled by it. Unsettled. Emerson made this statement years ago. He said, people wish to be settled only as far as they are unsettled is there any hope for them. People wish to be settled, wish to have all your stuff in order, wish to be self-sufficient, wish to be able to say, I, I, can, I can handle everything. But only as far as people are unsettled is there any hope for them. I think being unsettled is exactly where we need to be. I mean, just look at the Scriptures, the number of people in the Bible that live in a constant state of being unsettled. It's just like just when they're at the moment where they're like, yeah, I got this, they become unsettled again. Just at the moment where it feels like everything's going well in the drama that's unfolding, it becomes clear again that they are unsettled. It also seems, if you look at the scriptures, that anybody that's actually growing is in a state of being unsettled. That it's almost like a prerequisite to growth prerequisite to change, a prerequisite to moving somewhere forward as an individual or as a community is to first be unsettled. See, I think Isaiah thought he knew God. I think he talked with God. He heard from God. He listened to him. He was a prophet for God, if we're like putting this in today's contemporary context, this was like the small group leader extraordinaire. This is not just someone who runs small groups. This is someone who like trains other people to run small groups. This is like the Billy Graham of his day. Like if there's somebody you're going to call to share the gospel, if you're going to bring in the best pastor in the whole city, if you're going to like get the person that's going to solve the problem, that's going to explain who God is, you're going to bring in Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, hero of the faith, that's the guy you're going to call. And I think Isaiah felt like he had God dialed in. Like, I got him figured out. I know what's going on. I bet he knew, like, inside and out, God's theology. He knew inside and out God's feelings about things. He knew inside and out all of these things about God. He was persuaded he knew the heart of him. And then he meets God. And in that moment, he curses. In that moment, he's like, I don't even know what to say. Everything that I thought I knew, I don't quite know anymore, right? He was absolutely wrecked with awe for God. Absolutely destroyed with it in a beautiful way. Somehow, instead of thinking he had him all dialed in, thinking that he had him figured out, uh, he was suddenly dumbfounded. That the, actually, the closer he got to God, the more, in some ways, the less he knew. I remember going to college, being a theology student, coming out of college, and going, "Well, I kind of got God figured out. It's pretty good. I dialed in." And then going to seminary and then coming out and going, oh man, I don't even think I know God yet. Like, 
my goodness, the more I know, the more I realize, like, I don't know. And after pastoring for 20 years, like, the even more I realize I don't know. That God is so utterly beyond. Think about this for a moment. There's this awesome passage. It's like one of my favorite passages in the Psalms, Psalm 19. And David is speaking, and David says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky shows forth His handiwork. Day after day they pour pour forth speech, right? This idea that the heavens are speaking, they're talking, they're shouting the glory of God to us. Now, just a little quick history lesson. David with his sheep, or David a little bit later on in life, went out with the stars, didn't probably have a telescope, right? It wasn't invented yet. He didn't get it for like his 13th birthday and like fix that on the sky above, dial it in and, and like see it on telescope and go, oh my word, I'm going to pen these words, right? He's just simply in a field looking up and going, holy cow. Now, on average, if you look to the sky, not in the middle of the city, but if you like go into the woods and it's pitch black and you look into the sky and you see everything, you say to yourself, millions of stars. Can you believe it? This is unbelievable. On average, most people, when they look into the sky, see 5,000. 5,000 stars. At one time, they're like, and that's what you're taking in. It's like 5,000 stars, which blows your mind. It's amazing, right? But that's what you're seeing. Peter N. says this, smart people tell us that the universe is about 46 billion light years across. Light travels about 5.87 trillion miles a year. Multiply that by 46 billion. My calculator broke. I came up with a number I can't even read. And according to my extensive 10-second Google research, the numbers before the E are to be multiplied by 10 to the 23rd power. It also seems that the universe is expanding at an increasing rate. And if that weren't enough, now we are told there may be more than one of them. Add that to the fact that there are billions and billions of galaxies, each with billions and billions of stars in them, and they're telling us it's ever-increasing. And that's just the part of the universe we know up to this point. Right? That should unsettle us. That should cause us to pause. That should lay on a really thick coat of humility. I mean, here's what you should be thinking. The God that you worship, the God that you read of in the Scriptures, the God that you speak with, the God that I know you desire so deeply to follow is the same God that is described as so far and above the universe we just described. Right? This thing that's like so big, we have no ability to wrap our mind around it, is so infinitesimally small compared to the God we worship. And yet, somehow, we feel like we got them figured out. 
Like somehow we walk in here with such certainty. I mean, like I've heard people say before, like I speak for God. Well, I'll, I'll say this, just so you're aware, for me, I don't speak for God. At best, at best, I hope he speaks through me. At best. I don't speak for God. None of us do. None of us could. We think we know his theology. We think we have it like dialed in. And man, I only know enough to pretend that I don't even really know where to start. Like just take the Trinity, for example. And then when you figured that out, let's move to the next. Right? He is so far above anything we could imagine that what I think sometimes we're tempted to do, what we we try to do is somehow shape God into the God we want him to be. The God that like we can wrap our mind around, the God that we can like fit into a box, the God that we can say makes sense to us. And, And while that might feel more safe, while that might make more like sense, black and white and figuring it all out, the truth is, that the universe we just described for just mere seconds, which is so far beyond what we can imagine, the God that we love is so much bigger. That we need to be completely unsettled, completely in awe. Six months ago, I was uh, hanging out with the staff. I had done like a little bit of a retreat away by myself for a couple days. I came back and uh, I said to the staff, I'm like, hey, I think we need to fast as a whole community together. Like, I think in my nine plus years here, I don't recall a time that we've ever whole community fasted. Now, I know small groups have. I know the interns have. I know that other individuals have. I know small accountability groups have. I know all that, but never have we like I think, called the whole community to fast. And so I said to the staff, like, this would be awesome. Let's do it. And the first question that was asked, obviously, was what are we fasting for, right? Like, what is the thing that we're asking God to do? What are we asking him to provide? What, what change do we want to see happen? What, you know, what is it that we can look forward to? And um, my very holy pastoral answer was, I, I have no idea. I don't know. All I know is like I felt like we're supposed to, but I have no idea what for. And so like a month later, another, we're at a staff meeting and someone's like, well, have we figured out what we're fasting for yet? I go, no, no idea. Still none. So then I started having people give suggestions. Like, well, maybe we could fast about, you know, the building that someone proposed we look at downtown. We could fast about that. I go, no, this doesn't. We could, but that doesn't seem like the thing. Maybe we could fast for the finances of the church. Um, you know, more money equals more mission, and so we want more mission, so let's pray for more money. And it didn't feel like that was it either. It wasn't until I started actually preparing this that I went, you know, if there was something we as a community could fast for that would utterly change who we are as a community, it would be this, to say, God, we want to be unsettled by you. We want complete awe 
of you. The, you know, th- those things just don't come by us manufacturing them, right? They don't come by us just going, like saying, okay, I want more. No, no, it, like somehow God does something supernatural where you say, God, I submit to you, and what I want is for you to absolutely blow my mind about who you are. Like, I I want to think of you differently than I've ever thought of you. I want you to speak to me different than you've ever spoken to me. I I want you to to show me how great you are while how humble I need to be. To, To just ask God to blow us away and to create within us a heart of awe. So I, w- I want to do that. I want to call us to fast as a community. I want to say, let's ask God to raise our awareness of who he is. Let's ask God to reveal our brokenness. This fall, let's, let's ask God to break down our desire to limit who he is, to put him into a box, to, to not understand him fully, um, to to allow him to go against who we thought he was, if we thought he was something, to, to have him re- reveal himself to us in new ways. And I, I don't know exactly what that should look like, other than to say that when we go through this Jonah series, that maybe we just start with in your small groups, in accountability groups, with friends, maybe... Fast for a lunch, maybe fast for a full day, maybe fast for a couple days. And just have at the center of it this desire for the awe of God. Because here's what the text kind of wraps up with. It says this, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. If you notice the sequence of the text, our awareness of God's holiness, our awareness of His greatness, our sense of His awe, then motivates us. It changes us, right? God gets to this point where Isaiah has described everything, and then God speaks and says, who's going to go for us? And Isaiah just simply says, send me. I'll do it. I think awe motivates mission. I think a sense of being captivated by God motivates and compels service. I think a sense of being so overly consumed with who God is makes us love people in ways that are far beyond simple love. But the, it's, it's not like we do it and then we just gain this awe of God. It's rather that we are so in awe of who He is and so compelled by His love toward us that then it motivates us to live with reckless abandon for God. To live with this gratitude, this, this heart of service. I would even say that if you're looking at your life right now and you were to say there's no action in it, there's no mission in it, there's no service in it, you might have to ask yourself if there's any awe in it. Right? That if you're sitting there and you're not motivated, compelled, desiring to do something, 
for the kingdom and for your king, then you might have to ask the question, do I have awe? Am I overwhelmed by him? And my prayer is that we will be a people that listen to people like Isaiah, captivated to change. Let me pray. We're going to sing one song in closing, and then I'll uh, come give a little benediction. Let's pray.